Hello, everyone. Welcome to the next episode of the Inside and Beyond podcast, and I'm your host, Natalia Fomichenko. Today, we are going to continue our conversation with Tom Campbell that we have started in the previous episode. Tom Campbell is a physicist and author of My Big Toe, which stands for Theory of Everything. Theory of Everything is a framework of physics that links together all aspects of the universe. So let's pick up where we left off. I know from what you're writing in the book that you can also communicate with other being physical or non-physical because essentially what defines those beings is the information. And if you get the information stream to this being, that's basically how you can talk to your example, Uncle Fred. You don't talk to specifically Uncle Fred, but you talk to the database that stores mm -hmm. all the information about Uncle Fred's, but you think that you talk to Uncle Fred. So what else can you do? You also mentioned that you can heal people. How does this work? And Genuinely, just, just to get us excited about the opportunities and capabilities out there, if we get this data. Okay, well, I say all the paranormal things take place on the intuitive side, and most of them take place by getting information, getting data, like remote viewing. You're getting mm -hmm. data about what's going on some other place. There's another set that worked by the principle that Uh, so you haven't gotten into this part of how the reality works, but reality is, is probability based. Our mm -hmm. reality is probability based. And in a, in a reality that's probability based, the system has to know what happens next. When a measurement's made and nobody knows the answer, the system needs to know what to put there. Like for instance, if you dig a hole in your yard, what's going to come out of that? Dirt, rocks, roots, maybe a gold coin, you know, mm -hmm. dinosaur bone, who knows? You don't know what's going to come out of it, but the system has to put something there. So it has to decide what's there because it's an unknown. So mm -hmm. when anybody measures an unknown, and it may even be, you know, how long is the stick? Well, that's an unknown. So you measure it. Now, the way the, the system comes up with unknowns is it takes a random draw from a probability distribution of the possibilities. So it looks at all the possibilities and each possibility has a probability. Some things are more possible than others. You know, they're more probable than others. So it looks at all of that. Then it takes a random draw, not a random draw from the possibilities. We're not just randomly picking a possibility, but a random draw from the probability distribution of the possibilities, which means that random draw is more likely to get the things that are more probable than it is the things that are less probable. Mm -hmm. that's how it creates something new. You take a measurement. Okay. So in order to, in order to do that, it needs a database and it needs a database of all the possibilities and their probabilities. So it has this database and that is available for consciousness because it's a database and it's a database about our virtual reality and the people who are in it and have been in it. So it's kind of there for anybody to look at. So that's one thing. Now, the other set of things that that's one paranormal, bunch of paranormal things happen that way. Talking to Uncle Fred, uh, you know, looking at somebody and seeing what their health aura is and what's wrong with them. Diagnosing uh, the placebo effect now is different and healing mm -hmm. is different. There, you're actually modifying the probabilities. Mm. You're modifying oh. the probabilities with your intent. So if you have an intent that this probability gets higher and this other probability gets lower so that when the random draw comes, it'll be more likely this way than that way, then you can do that. You can mm -hmm. modify those probabilities. So the system has this database with all the probabilities and you get to modify those probabilities with your intent. That's feedback for us. So in a way, we get to create what happens. We don't really get to create it, but we get an influence to create mm -hmm. it. Okay. So now that has been known for a long, long time. I remember back in the 1950s, there was a guy named Norman Vincent Peale who wrote a book called The Power of Positive Thinking. Okay. And what he said is that if you think positively, and if you're basically happy and very positive, positive things will happen to you in your life. And if you're grouchy and negative and constantly, uh, you know, 
negative about things, a lot of negative junk's going to happen to you in your life, and you draw to you the kind of things that you think, you know, the way you think. Yep. And everybody knows that sort of works. You know, experience mm-hmm. tells us that, you know, people who are mm-hmm. very positive, good things happen to them. And people who are always grouching and complaining, whatever, well, their life is just always of full of misery. They focus so, on misery. And right. And the reason that that works is because your thoughts, your intents modify that probability. So if you are a negative person, you start putting more energy into th- those negative things happening. And if you're a positive person, you put more into the positive things happening. So you're modifying that. So if you really, really want the sun to shine next Sunday because you're having a picnic and you put a lot of effort into that, well, the sun has a higher probability of shining. Mm -hmm. But if somebody else has really, really wants rain on Sunday because their crops are drying up, they're going to really, really want rain to happen. And those two probabilities push and pull and depends on what dominates what. And that's what happens all within the probability of the possibilities, right? We're not changing possibilities. We're just moving probabilities around. Mm-hmm. That so, makes sense. So that's the way reality works. And the reason our reality is has to be uh, probabilistic is because that is so much simpler to compute. It's much easier to model things probabilistically. But now our rule set is primarily deterministic. The rule set is mostly deterministic with some randomness thrown in because there's some natural things that are random, like decay, atomic decay. The way that particle shoots out is random. Mm-hmm. You don't, it doesn't shoot out in a particular way. The direction that a particle shoots out of a, of a element that's decaying is, uh, is random. So mm-hmm. the, the rule set has some probability, but mostly it's a deterministic thing. So the probability distributions of what are the possible things to happen, we can develop that out of the rule set because we know what's here now. We know what's going on. You know, we can determine what's likely to happen next, sort of. And the things that we guess at, well, if those are wrong, we just have to go change the probabilities that are affected by that thing we we got wrong. Mm -hmm. So we have this database based on probability. So now, Let's say if I'm the larger cancer system and I want to do something just as simple as, um, oh, I don't know, you know, an old example I usually use is like you fire a cannon and I use a cannon because it's a very simple machine. It's just mm-hmm. a tube with gunpowder at one end and a ball, you know, in front of it and you light the powder, it gets hot and expands and pushes the ball out. Very, very simple machine. But to do that at the molecular and at the atomic level would take all of the supercomputers we have on the planet working together would probably take them a, you know, a whole day just to compute that one fire because it's that complicated if you're going down at the subatomic level and working your mm-hmm. way up. It's too hard to do that way. It's much easier looking at that cannon, firing it a thousand times, looking at the probability of where the ball lands and says, well, okay, out of a thousand fires, the hunt, Greatest probability will be here, and then it's a little less probable there. And now, when that when the gun fires and you want to model it, all you have to do is reach in, grab a random number out of that distribution, and that's where you put the cannonball. You see, mm-hmm. that's really simple. So, doing that is a simple way. That's why quantum physics works the way it does because this is a top-down probabilistic model. Our reality really is is created in probability. Now, if you have a simulation that is not probability-based, but is based from the ground up. We start with subatomic particles and build up atomic particles and then build up, you know, that if you do that, not only is it insanely hard and difficult to do, and it takes a huge amount of computation that requires to happen very fast. Okay? So it's it just doesn't work. It's too hard. Mm-hmm. But if you build it from ground up, you always know what's going to happen next because you've got all the structure of where it's going. All you have to do is just extrapolate to the next delta T, and that's what's going to happen. When you have a top-down probability model, you don't know what's going to happen next. You see, because you don't have the underlying structure to tell you what's going to happen next. All you have is probabilities. So that's why this random draw from the probability distribution of the possibilities is the method for determining 
what happens next. And and uh, go ahead. You had a question popping up yes. there. Yes. Yes. So I'm thinking if our reality is probabilistic, right, mm -hmm. then it means that the big consciousness that has created this virtual reality simulation doesn't know what's going to happen, right? No, it never knows what's going to happen until it takes the random draw. Now, it has mm -hmm. all the possibilities and the probability of those possibilities, so it's a pretty good guesser, mm -hmm. but it doesn't really know either until it happens, right? Nobody knows. That's why free will works. Nobody really knows the result of the choices that you make. Things happen, and because they happen, you get consequences. So that's, you know, and another one of my examples I use so people kind of get it is that if you're looking out and if a, if a physicist looks out in a new telescope, brand new telescope, looks further than any telescope has ever looked before, he's going to look out into space and he sees something. What does he see? Well, there's nothing out there to see. That's not really being computed because nobody's looking at it. Mm -hmm. Remember, it's a virtual reality. It just comes in data streams. So what happens? He looks. He takes a picture and there could be a thousand different things there. They all have to be compatible with what we already know. You know, he's not going to find dancing rhinoceros or something there. He's going to find things that are compatible with what we know. And of those thousand things, random draw is taken. That's what the picture looks like. Mm -hmm. Now that he's taken that picture, if he looks again, he'll get the same thing. Because once it comes into the reality, it stays in the reality. Once but, observed, right? It's not like there was something there already that he saw. There was nothing there. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. only after he looks that he gets data, and now that defines that space. That data is there. So nothing really is there until the measurement is made. You see? That makes sense. And then, since we are talking about quantum physics concepts here, just wanted to understand well. That's what we've talked about just now, the necessity of an observer for mm -hmm. the reality to become mm -hmm. true or for the probabilistic wave to collapse into mm -hmm. matter or, or an observation right. that is measured, right? But then another thing that um, is also one of the quantum physics concepts is quantum entanglement, which mm -hmm. to me means that two particles can exhibit the same properties and do the same actions without dependency on space or time. Mm -hmm. Is that correct uh, definition? And, and how, how can you explain this process? Well, when you have a, a probabilistic uh, reality and a virtual reality, that's trivial to explain. It's just an if-then statement. Space is, doesn't matter. You know, I have an, uh, I have this I'm holding up my finger over here. Of course, you can't see it because it's not on the screen, but if I get it in the screen here someplace. If I have an electron here and it's a spin up mm -hmm. and I have it entangled with another electron over here that's spin down. Mm -hmm. And if I flip this one down, this one will flip up. Mm -hmm. Right. So I can do that. And now I move these two, you know, a billion light years apart. It still works the same way. When I flip one, the other one flips down instantaneously, mm -hmm. even though it doesn't matter about space. You see, it's not, it's not that. It's just all one thing. It's one system. It's one thing. So space is irrelevant. That's just an if-then statement. It's a simple thing to do. If this is mm. spin up, that's spin down. Mm, space, space is not one of the, is not one of the variables. So it's an easy thing to calculate. Now, why would the system do something like that? That's because this entanglement it was created around conservation laws. So you have conservation laws of angular momentum. Spin up has a certain angular momentum. Where's my finger? I can't find it in the camera because this microphone of mine's in the mm -hmm. way. All right. If you have a spin up here, that is a certain angular momentum. Mm -hmm. And if it started out, let's say you had no particles, something happened and you created two particles. You hit, you hit a piece of plastic, special plastic with a particle. And bingo, you get two particles. One's mm -hmm. up, one's down. Why do you have that? Because there was no angular momentum to begin with. So the total angular momentum still has to be the same, which is an up and a down. They cancel. You get zero. Mm -hmm. You see? So that's a conservation law. Now, that conservation law doesn't have anything to do with it. It was distance. That conservation law just says 
that this has to remain a total of zero because it started at a total of zero. So now I have two particles for one, and these two particles are said to be entangled because they're related to each other. Mm. So if I move them at any distance, it doesn't matter. If one flips, the other one flips because the conservation law says that the total angular momentum of that system has to stay zero. Mm -hmm. So all of the entanglement was centered around conservation laws, conservation of momentum, conservation of energy, mm -hmm. conservation of spin, conservation of, of you know, whatever. So that's where, that's where that came from. Mm -hmm. It was in order for the conservation laws to remain true, mm, then particles had to move that way. When we got to the point that we had entangled particles, otherwise, if you changed one, then you would be breaking that, that conservation law. So that's how it, that's kind of where it came from. But it's a trivial thing to compute in a, in a virtual reality. It's just an if then statement. If this yep. one's a spin up, that one's a spin down. If you change one, the other one automatically changes. So yep. it's, it's, uh, it's that sort of thing to compute. So that this is a virtual reality, right? There has to be an observer because virtual realities only exist in the mind of the players. They don't really exist outside the minds of the players. So if a player doesn't get some information about an object, that object can't be in the virtual reality. For that so, object to be in the virtual reality means that some player had to get that object described in data. Some player had to be sent data that had that object in it. So does it mean then, according to this logic, that let's say there is a big rock under this tree and if no one looks at it and no one taken measurements, then it means that this rock may or may not be there? Is that the, the rock is indeterminate. What's underneath that tree is not known yet it's not computed really? so wow. there is nothing under that tree that's defined it's a potential that's underneath that tree could be a rock could be a dinosaur bone could be uh you know anything and you won't know until you dig down because nothing's being computed there wow there's really? nothing computed there you only compute what you see what wow. you sense You only compute that. So right now, you and I are having this conversation, and the fact that we have internal organs, the fact that we both have brains, there's no brain. It's a virtual brain. No, no brain is being computed in our head. Only what's being computed is what we see. That's it. Now, if you open up a skull, there's not going to be just a black absence of, of reality inside your skull. They have to put something in there. So they look at the rule set and what goes in there. Oh, we'll put a brain in there and it'll have so these. It, so it, it gets put only as you open the skull, essentially. Yeah, just like whatever's out there in outer space, it was only because they made the measurement with the telescope. There was nothing out there. It's not like that's what was there. That's what, yeah. that's what appears to be there. That's the information you get. And that's created right at the moment of the measurement. When you do the random draw from the probability distribution, That determines what's there. And before that was nothing was determined to be there because nobody had made the measurement. And I guess as we've already, as a humankind, opened so many skulls, the probability of us seeing the same thing when we open another skull is so high. That's why we can be well, sure. sure that uh, we will see what we are going to right. see, right? Right. Well, once you, open, you know, once you open a skull... And you see a brain. Well, now you know that's what's inside skulls. But brains are different. You know, some of them have different kinds of things and some of them have diseases and some of them are this way or that way. So there, there will be differences, but a lot of the things will be the same. Because once you look at it once, now, no, if, but the measurement and what we see here and what happens here has to be in consonance with the rule set. So you're not going to look in somebody's head and find a gearbox in there with a bunch of, little, <laughs> bunch of little wheels spinning around. You see, that won't happen because the rule set doesn't support that. The yeah. rule set has us as a biological thing and, you know, but, you know, we're, we're carbon based, hydrocarbon based critter. So we're going to have a hydrocarbon based brain and it's going to have certain functions. So the reason, you know, there is a connection between the avatar and what the consciousness can do with that avatar. Okay. The consciousness can only do with the avatar 
what the rule set says that avatar can do. So if the consciousness says, Tom, flap your arms real fast and fly. Well, I may flap my arms as fast as I can, but I'm not going to fly because the rule set says that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. I can't move my arms that fast and my hands aren't big enough to move that much air. And, you know, I see. Fly. I can't do it. So I can only do what the rule set allows. So the rule set, when you open a person's head, is going to have to show what had to be there biologically in order for this body, this body to function because mm-hmm. it evolved here. It evolved mm-hmm. from things that had little tiny brains like a jellyfish or maybe no brain at all. And eventually it evolved a brain and then it evolved bigger, bigger brains and mammals and so on. So because of that evolution, according to our rule set, you open a skull. That's what you're going to find. Mm-hmm. Just in the same way is that if I'm in a car accident and I have brain damage, now maybe I lose my memory. Maybe I drag a foot because I can't walk very well anymore. And now my consciousness has to deal with an avatar that drags its foot and can't remember. Mm. You see, because the rule set limits what the avatar mm. can do with that. Interesting. I mean, what the consciousness can do with that avatar. So, yes. You bang an avatar over the head and it, no, it doesn't hurt the consciousness, but it limits what the consciousness can do according to the rule set. I see. And since we're talking about this uh, fundamental physical concepts and you mentioned before that everything in future exists as probability wave, does it mean that, well, I guess the question is around time. What time is? I know it's sort of an illusion. It depends on in which rule set you are and uh, and that's what what we um use as a tool to to help us determine um our characteristics but um is past then in 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 the sense that we know of time is it set or we can interact with the past reality somehow because i remember even einstein was uh theoretically saying that with certain specific conditions there can be the the ways to to access the past so it's not excluded mm-hmm. um in theory yeah, okay. so i'm curious to understand what your view is on time and on interaction and interdependency of past and future okay um time is not an illusion you you hear that because the scientists are trapped into saying that, even though that's silly. We, we experience time, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, time is not an illusion at all. Time is generated when you generate our, our time. Now, our virtual reality has its own clock. Every mm-hmm. virtual reality can, ha- can be on a different clock. But the virtual reality that runs the physical universe virtual reality, what we call the physical universe virtual reality, that has its own time. When you do a simulation and create information that describes things, you have to have an outer time loop. That's called a dynamic simulation. It means you, you increase time by one delta T and recompute where everything is. This thing's moving. And well, now it's here. Next delta T, it's here. Next delta T, it's there. Next delta T, it's out here. Mm-hmm. That's a dynamic simulation. So time for us is generated by the outer time loop in the simulation. Okay, that's our time. Some other virtual reality may have its own clock where time may run differently because simulation that needs a lot of high resolution is going to need a real small delta T for that resolution. Okay, and then you're going to have to have a whole lot of them real fast go by to make up, you know, a whole day's worth of time. Mm -hmm. Whereas a simulation that has real low resolution may skip by hour by hour by hour, you know, might be skip through it because there's Mm -hmm. just not much going on there. So different virtual realities have different clocks, but time is a, is fundamental. Remember consciousness requires a choice or it's not consciousness. Choice requires time before and after the choice. Time Mm -hmm. is fundamental. Now, regular time, which means time like a metronome that's regular, you know, a beat, a clock, Time by which you can make measurements by, you know, by which mm-hmm. you can order things by. I call that regular time. That mm-hmm. was a, that was probably the first technology that the consciousness system invented. And it needed to invent that to give it more ways in which it could 
lower entropy, more way, you know, bigger decision space because it could not only do patterns and patterns of patterns, but it could do sequences of patterns of sequences. You see it? So it could, there's more possibilities. So regular time was just one of these consciousness cells flipping between a zero and a one. Remember, mm-hmm. this is a computational system. So that's a metronome and that sets the clock for everything else. Mm-hmm. So now our, our virtual reality does one, one delta T for every maybe billion, billion ticks of the fundamental clock of consciousness. Mm-hmm. So there is time. Time's fundamental to reality. It's not an illusion at all. Okay. Um, regular time is a little newer than fundamental time. Before time just kind of happened, but it wasn't something you could measure anything with regular time makes time something that you can measure Mm -hmm. and keep track of. Uh, So time is a fundamental thing comes in with consciousness and choice. Remember we had consciousness and choice and it's opposite is determinism and materialism. And if you're a determinist and a materialist, then you have to say time's an illusion. Consciousness is an illusion and free will is an illusion. Okay. Yeah. I if see you're on you the opposite corner and you say free will and consciousness exist and therefore time exists, then you look and you say, well, materialism is an illusion and determinism is an illusion. Mm-hmm. Those two things are logically incompatible. I see. You can't have both. And people who do mix and match, they're just not logical. You know, it's illogical to mix and match. You can't say, well, yeah, I believe in materialism, but I also think there's time or there's consciousness or there's paranormal, but I'm still a materialist. Mm-hmm. They're just, they are just not being logical. They, they have, they're saying things that, that don't mix logically. Mm-hmm. You have to be on one of those corners or the other. You can't, you know, you can't mix between them. They're totally, um, what, in, you know, incompatible. In, in, yeah, incompatible, completely incompatible. So because mm-hmm. scientists are materialists, they have to say things like time is an illusion, consciousness is an illusion, and free will is an illusion because they've decided they're materialists. They have to be determinist, and that's what they have mm-hmm. to say. So they say it, but they don't have any really good reason to say it. They say it because they know it must be true because they know that materialism is true. That's a belief. A belief, yeah. They have this belief. That's where you get the time is an illusion, and that's a scientific idea now because that's part of the belief in materialism, but it's just wrong. It's mm-hmm. not like that at all. That's Consciousness is fundamental, you see. So that's the basic thing. You know, you mentioned, yes, time's an illusion. Everybody thinks time mm-hmm. is an illusion because they hear that because our culture is a materialistic culture, and that's part of our belief system, but it's wrong. Now, exactly. what about you past? You me. <laughs> yeah, what about past and pre- past and uh, present and future? Mm-hmm. We have databases that keep track of the past. We have a database that looks at the probabilities in the future, all mm-hmm. the things that could happen and the probability that they will happen. Mm-hmm. Okay. And as time ticks through, all those probabilities move through in the past now. So the yep. past really is not just the past of everything that happened. It's all the things that could have happened and the probability that they would have happened. That's the past database. Mm-hmm. Now there's just one little thread that, that snakes its way through that past database, which is everything that did happen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, so all that data is available to us. So we can go see what did happen. And this database is much better than Google. Because not only can you go look at it, like looking at a movie, like you're seeing a video of the past, but you can get into the video. You can be a character in the video. You can go back and, and into the past and be there. But you can't, well, change. let me put it another way. You can't actually change the database. But you can go through that database and see, you can do what-if analysis. You can go into that database and say, all right, here I am at the chan- right at the place where I made the decision to marry Sally and not Sue. Now, that made a lot of changes in a lot of people's lives when I made that mm-hmm. decision because I could yeah. have picked either one, but I married Sally and not Sue. Mm-hmm. So it's saying Sally, it changed Sue, it changed Sally and Sue's parents, their friends, you know. Yep. So it changed all kinds of things changed because of that choice. 
So I can go back to that spot and I could say, what if I'd have married Sue instead? What would it be likely? Now it'll go through all the possibilities. And I can say, I'd like to see all the most likely things that would have happened after that and where that would have gone. I said, I'd like to see it uh, after we had been married five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years. Where would that have most likely gone? And now I'm just skipping through that database of all the things that could have happened and the probability that they would have. You see, I'm just Mm -hmm. going through that database. I could also say, I'd like to see the fourth most probable thing that would have happened five years, 10 years. Everyone's now the fourth Mm -hmm. most probable thing. All the data is there. So I can go and, and go through that database. And now I'm looking at a movie based on those probabilities in this what if analysis. Okay. But it doesn't change anything. So mm-hmm. I can be in that movie. I can actually be a character in that movie and I could do things to alter those probabilities. I could go in there and say, okay, but what if five years later, um, you know, Sue, when I married her, she, Won the lottery. How would that change? Well, there's another set of pop, you know, another set of probabilities goes off. So I can make changes and see different things happening, but all I'm doing is exploring this everything that could have happened and the probability that it would have database. And I can get into it, make all kinds of what ifs, see how that happens, be a character, make changes, but the database remains the same. I'm not changing the database. I'm just exploring it through different probability. I see. And you do it through entering to the intuitive space. Yes. Intuitive. That we were talking about before. That data is accessed through the intuitive space. Exactly. So have you explored your own life this way? <laughs> uh, some. Little bits of it. I don't generally try to look at futures because that is getting in my own way. You know, what life is about is that stuff happens and you get to deal with it and how you deal with it makes a difference of, you know, whether you evolve or de-evolve. You're dealing with it is your choices. So it doesn't matter so much what happens. What matters, what's really important is how you deal with it. Do you deal with it positively or negatively? So that's really what life is all about. Most people focus on making what they want to happen be the thing that happens. You know, they want to manipulate life to be the way they want it. Mm-hmm. They try to do all those things to make life come out the way they want it. So what's important to them is what happens. But what happens really isn't that important. Let what happen be whatever it is. That's not terribly, but it doesn't mean you can't make plans. It just means that it's not the main thing going on in, in your life. Sure, you can make your plans, but you don't worry about the details or how it comes out for the most part. You do what you think is right and you let things fall out however they do. Then you deal with them. So that's the way life is. So now if you start looking into the future and saying, well, okay, I'm going to, let's see, the highest probability on this path is I'm going to die of an automobile accident. I'm going to stop driving automobiles. Well, now you change everything. Now you no longer drive automobiles and you made all sorts of other things different. Hmm. Is that good? Is that bad? Yeah, you don't you know. know. You see, you start interfering with your life and with your options. Your choices change. You interfere. So people who are really powerful at modifying future probability generally don't because they don't want to live in a bubble of their own creation. Pretty soon mm-hmm. you're living in this bubble that you've created and okay, you never get sick. You know, all these things don't happen to you, but you're living in an artificial bubble. So the stuff that happens that you get to deal with and by that grow up, you've just kind of ruined your own game mm. by being in this bubble. So basically because you've created, you've created this bubble most likely because of fear, right? Because right. of your ego to protect exactly. yourself exactly. and that prevents your growth. Exactly. You got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're pretty sharp. You got that exactly right. So you just don't do that, you know, and the people who really want to change things and they want to control things, those are the people who really aren't very good at it because mm-hmm. they haven't grown up that much yet and they still have a lot of ego and they still have a lot of fear. So they're not all that powerful because it's hard for them to keep their mind focused because the fear and the ego gets in the way and 
Yeah. So it's, it's like that. So yeah, you can change that and you can modify reality a little bit sometimes to be more convenient, but in general, you just don't. You just let it happen however it happens because that's the way it is. And you don't bother about what the future is. It'll be whatever it is. And that's optimizes your ability to learn and grow, which is mm-hmm. really what's important in the first place. So mm-hmm. yes, you have a, you have this system of probabilities, future probabilities, and you can modify them and you mm-hmm. can modify them with a fair amount of power. But when you do, you create other things. Like when you heal people, you can heal with your intent. You just have an intent that as things change, the probabilities are going to be more health rather than more sickness. Mm-hmm. Change the probability. That's the same way the placebo effect works. You know, and that's, yep. that's a, that's a part of our legislature. You can't sell a drug if it can't beat the, you know, the placebo effect. So that changes the probabilities because it changes what people think. You know, the placebo is you say, Oh, this pill is a wonderful new pill. It's yeah, going to cure yeah, you. Yeah. La, 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 la. And if you believe that, then you start thinking more positive instead of more negative. And then you raise the probability. It changes. Yeah. You change the probabilities. It, it uh, changes the way things happen. So yes, you can create that, that bubble around yourself, but it's dysfunctional. And the only reason for creating in the first place is because you're dysfunctional. <laughs> like you <laughs> yeah. say, it's because you have ego and you have, uh, you have beliefs, you have fear. That's why you would want to create the bubble to protect yourself. There's no yeah. need to protect yourself. Life is. And if it looks like you might get in a crash and die, well, okay, maybe that'll happen, but mm-hmm. that's not a, big deal that's the other thing once you understand reality death loses its thing death isn't a big deal it's just another part of the game you yeah. know nobody gets upset when their elf dies or you know when uh, you know their their sims character loses their job you know you don't go out and you know cry because of it it's the way it is you deal with it yeah. and when you die you deal with it by learning all the lessons and going off and starting another one you know, so yeah. it's just part of the process and it's not a, it's not like a, a terrible thing to be avoided. It's just part of the, part of the way reality yeah. works. You, we need that death. If we didn't have that death, we'd get ourselves backed into corners of belief and we wouldn't learn. We'd have all these beliefs that would block out new information and we'd just kind of sit there and our ability to learn and grow would, would shrink and shrink and shrink and well, everybody would you know have that been there done that I know everything kind of attitude and it wouldn't be good at all wouldn't be healthy but you need to you need to restart you need to mm-hmm. reboot the system every once in a while so you get out of all the corners you painted yourself into and all your beliefs and all the rest of that stuff take the quality you've earned get to start again with a whole different situation whole different set of rules or lack thereof you know and see what yeah. you make see what you make of that kind of thing now that's the challenge that lets you grow yeah and it's it's um it's a powerful way to look at things it's um i guess very healthy even psychologically to maintain this perspective that you're here to learn and you shouldn't you know try to uh, get out of your breast to grasp to the things that you have in this reality or the things that you perceive yourself need as we are moving towards the end. And it was such a, an amazing conversation. I, I just can't get enough of you. Just two points to close on the altered reality states. First, have you, I think you have, I think I've read it somewhere in your book. Are you able to be in two realities in the same time. So let's say be here talking to me and at the same time wandering in the intuitive space. <laughs> and second, how? what's your view, maybe briefly, on psychedelics as a means to okay. create altered consciousness state? Is it mere hallucination or there is something to it from your, from your big toe theory okay. perspective? Okay, well, let's do the first one first. Um, can you be in two spaces at once? Yes, yep. you can be in three spaces at once. And I do four. Five is really hard for me. And, and that's Are you somewhere else now too? No, I'm mostly just here. But okay. I could be. I could be. You know, it depends on how much of my processing power I need to focus mm-hmm. on something. So if mm-hmm. I want to focus it well, 
like I do now. I, you know, I want mm-hmm. to, I want to give you my attention, my full attention. Mm-hmm. Then I'm here a hundred percent, but, um, I'm not always here at a hundred percent. Sometimes I'm partly other places and I come and go so quickly that it's, it's almost hard to say, you know, like if you ask me a question and I'm looking for the best way to explain it to you, I may go outside to get that explanation mm. and come back and, and give it to you. And I'm coming and going. And so, yes, you can be in multiple realities okay. at one, at one Fascinating. time. But Exciting. It, it, it works in a sense that there's a, you know, the pie is only so big. And if I'm, 10% someplace else, and I can't be but 90% here. Attention only has 100% capacity, and then it yeah. just depends on how it's distributed. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And what about psychedelics? Psychedelics, they do put you into a real reality. It's not that it's just a fake thing that has stimulating nerve endings and doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. It's not that. You know, People can pass it off as as being entirely imaginary and nothing happens there that has any significance. That's not true. It does put you into the larger system. But the data that you get in that larger system, you don't know how to interpret it. You don't know what it means. You have no control over the communication. So it's almost like if you were... Now, if we get it down to an audio experience rather than a vi- mostly have visual experience, but they have audio experiences too. But let's say that, that you were uh, thrown into a room that had 10 different radios playing on 10 different stations at the same time. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's real. It's all radio and they're all real radio stations. You know, it's not like you've just manufactured that, but it's garbage. It's hard to deal with it. There's mm-hmm. so much and you can't. And those radio stations come and go. You know, this one disappears, another one comes. So the problem is that you don't have the the control is not the word, but you don't have the experience to understand what it means, why it's like that. Why am I getting all these pretty colors? What Mm -hmm. do they mean? What's the significance of the pretty colors? Mm -hmm. Why is that what I get? Well, you can get messages from the larger conscious system while you're in a drug state. And some people may eventually learn how to pick them up. You know, that's what the indigenous people did. They took Mm -hmm. drugs Mm -hmm. and it helped them become the wolf and run through the woods or fly like the eagle. Mm -hmm. And they used that. What they were doing was getting into the database and flying like an eagle. You can become a wolf or an eagle, either one, and experience what that other consciousness experiences. All these things are available to you. But again, they had the same problem, breaking that barrier. So they used drugs. Mm -hmm. to break that barrier, but they used them in a very ritual way, in a very precise way. It wasn't like, let's take them and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It wasn't that. You know, it wasn't recreational drugs. It was drugs for a purpose, certain kinds of drugs, just certain kinds of amounts that would help them do what they needed to do. Mm -hmm. And in that way, over, what, thousands of years, they developed what drugs, what amounts, when, to do the things they wanted to do. So they found them helpful. If used properly and with right intent, then it can basically help to break this intellectual barrier to the intuitive Mm -hmm. state. Yes. Now to make, you know, to enlarge on that point a little bit is that the shaman who were taking these drugs to, you know, fly like the eagle or see what the eagle sees. They didn't have to. They could have done it just with their intent, but they didn't know how. They were stuck in the same place that many people are stuck in as far as out of bodies and other things. They had intellects. They couldn't get their intellects to be quiet and so on. And they learned that they didn't have to be so disciplined or they didn't have to do all the work if they took the drug in consonance with using their intent and doing what they had to do. Now, they could have if they had known how dispensed with all of that. The drugs are entirely unnecessary. You don't have to take drugs to be able to see what an eagle sees or run, you know, run with the wolf or even be a wolf. You can do all that very easily without drugs. And when you do it without drugs, you're aware of what you're doing, why you're doing it, 
how you're doing it, the limitations, the other things you can do. Because many of the shaman also had a lot of beliefs around what they did. And they were constrained by those beliefs. So let's say that they became a wolf and they were running through the underbrush and now they wanted to be able to see where their enemy was. But they couldn't just change into an eagle because they believed that that wasn't possible. Now, I'm just making all this up. I'm just yeah, saying that, yeah. you know, they have things like this because when you, when you come to this knowledge using drugs or using any other kind of devices and not using knowledge, then there's a lot of things you don't understand. Mm-hmm. So you end up making up beliefs and making up theories and things. And if they believe that a wolf can't just change into an eagle, well, they would have to go back, get maybe a different drug or start off and become just the eagle and let the wolf go. They had no idea that the wolf can just turn into an eagle. Mm -hmm. If you use the drug rather than learn how to do it without the drug, you're going to bring along lots of ignorance with it, lots of limitations that you don't know that you have. Things will happen. And you're just out of control. They happen because that's part of the ritual as they happen. And you don't have a lot of control over it. So people get into these drugs and they see pretty lights and they see things and maybe they get information. It's very helpful and very useful. But then they also get some kind of monster, some kind of negative thing. And they get this negative energy about, uh, oh, you know, if you yeah. need, you need to do this or I'm going to get you and they get all kinds of other things, which see, that would be their fear talking, but they don't realize it's their fear talking. They think it's actually what it looks like, which is some other kind of negative being. And so it goes on and on and on. So there's lots and lots of problems with having a little bit of knowledge, but not really knowing what you're doing, you know, mm-hmm. and the only way to really know what you're doing is if you do it without drugs. So that's, that's the negative side. Yes, drugs can take you into a, a useful space. And the only people I know of who've really, I would say drugs was a positive thing in their life were people who tried a drug because they were curious, had a very interesting and significant experience and never took any drugs again and decided they wanted to learn how to do it on their own so that they could have those experiences. That's the most important thing is to know, yes, there is a little upside, but the downside is so much bigger. It's not a good idea. It leaves you with a lot of ignorance. It leaves you with a lot of things you don't understand. It leaves you with problems. It leads you into negativity often because you haven't grown out of the negativity as you go, which happens if you evolve yourself to do this. So all that negativity and those, and that ego and that fear is still in there, which starts to manifest out into your, as things that happen negatively in your drug experiences. And now you have to deal with those. And that's frightening, which creates more fear, which, you know, it's, uh, it tends to just go downhill in a spiral and not be a good thing. Do it without the drugs. It's just a matter of growing up. Everybody who wants to touch type probably can, but they didn't do it easily. They didn't do it the first time they tried. They spent at least two or three, four months working and working and working at it before they got it. And you're the same way. If you understand it. Huh? Iteration. Yeah, iteration. You just have to keep working on it. Anything in the intuitive side, you get with iteration. You get with work. You get with repetition. Uh, You know, if you read my Tom's Park and you, you go that route, Uh, you'll see there's a lot of repetition in it, but that's necessary. It's not repetition because you're not just reading a book. It's not a story. It's a Mm -hmm. training course. It's a program that you can use for the rest of your life to teach you how to develop your intuitive side. A little pricey, costs 80 bucks, but it's 80 bucks for a training course that lasts the rest of your life. It's really inexpensive. Thank you, Tom. Um, I can't even possibly explain how happy I am that we had this conversation. I really, really appreciate your time and effort. Really, really do. Before we close, what would be your suggestion for resources that our users can discover for themselves? We've already talked about Tom's Park. We've mentioned the books trilogy, My Big Toe. We have mentioned the audio course that you have to help 
induce the deep meditation state through the sound beats um, in the app. Mm -hmm. Anything else that you would like to suggest and also maybe anything else that you would like to to share with our listeners as as a conclusion of this conversation? Well, okay, let me do the kind of the ads first, right? Uh, and then yeah. we'll talk about the conclusion. Um, yeah, you can go to my website, which is www.my-big-toe.com. And from there, you can probably find links to most every place else. Uh, there's a, there's a, uh, www.mbt events, which basically says where I'm going to be talking and, you know, think places I'm going, things I'm doing, courses they're giving. Uh, there you can find out about a, a healing group that meets, uh, every couple of weeks. It's a really outstanding group. Several hundred people come together and they've been very powerful and doing some amazing things. So you don't have to have any experience for any of these. You, know, you just come and you can learn and participate. You, your consciousness, you know, you, uh, you don't have to learn this stuff. You're, you're already out of your body. You're a piece of consciousness. All you have to do is learn how to get into your mind. And, uh, you're your own worst enemy there. The, the things that keep you out of getting into your own mind are just your beliefs and your ego and your fear and your lack of trying, you know, lack of event. It's easy to do once you, decide that it's you know that you want to do it so there's that there's the tom's park that we mentioned which is maybe a simpler way to go about it rather than the more difficult meditation because meditation to be really good at meditating it'll probably take you a year or two, uh, two just at meditating to get really good at it where you can sit for an hour with no thoughts in your mind that that's is not an easy road to hoe you mentioned the courses i have courses to teach you to it's not only out of body, but it's just all about all the paranormal stuff, how to do all those kinds of things. And they're not too expensive. You can get those. They're, they're, uh, digital audio, I think is the best way to go there. And you can find that out at MBT events or at my site, mm -hmm. probably take you to that kind of thing. So of course there's the books, the books, uh, a trilogy about almost 900 pages. So it's a lot. And they are logical. People who are right-brained and, and uh, more intuitive sometimes struggle with them. Um, they're not an easy read, but I try to have some fun. I crack jokes a lot as I go because you have to, you know, you have to have a light heart at this. You know, you can't force yourself to do things intuitive. You know, if you approach that typewriter and say, well, damn it, typewriter, I'm going to learn to, you know, to do this. That won't help. That'll just make it harder. You know, you just have to relax and let it go and keep practicing and practicing and iterate and iterate, you know, until eventually you start to get it a little and get it a little more. And that's the way it is when you work on the intuitive side and to be able to get into that and stay there and not just keep popping in and out all the time. Just takes practice. That's also. It just takes practice. But now, so all of those things are available. And if you get on the net and Google things, you'll get all kinds of other sorts. My work is not the only work worth looking at. You look at all the work out there. And if something particularly resonates with you, then use that. If my work doesn't resonate with you, then don't use that. Go someplace else where it does resonate with you. You know, it has to, you have to connect to it. It has to mean something to you. You have to say, ah, this sounds right to me. You know, this resonates. This rings a bell in my mind. And if yeah. it does that, then it's good. You should use it and you should pursue it. But again, if it's not your experience, it can't be your truth. So go learn, practice, work at it, find scour the net, find out what's best for you to do. Uh, and you'll find that a lot of it's all leading in the same direction. And if you get to some, some work that uh, you might think is going to be helpful, look at the big picture of it and say, where is it leading? Where is it taking me? Is this a good place? Am I learning how to be kinder and gentler, more caring? Is it helping me or am I just trying to manipulate my environment better to make sure that I get the things I want 
Well, if it's serving your ego, it's not going to work for you in the long run. It will maybe seem really great at first, but then eventually it'll crash and burn. It won't really work for you. The only thing that really works and the only way to get the system to help you and the system will help you. I guess it's another thing I should say. The larger conscious system wants you to succeed, wants you to grow up, wants you to lower your entropy and have a higher quality conscious because as you do, it does because you're it. It's you. So you can get help from the system. It can give you hints. It can tell you methods. It can take you out of body, send you places, take you places. It can do all sorts of things to help, but you have to do it and it has to be your choice. And don't ask the system to make your choices for you. It won't do that. So the system will help you if you're a willing student, if you're ready. You know, they have a thing that says that, you know, when the student is ready, the master will come. And that is true. So if nothing's happening, it's probably because you're not ready yet. You still have too much fear and beliefs and, and ego, and you need to work on that first. That's the main thing. The paranormal by itself is, is neither here nor there. It's not important at all. Some people gain from it because trying to succeed in doing the paranormal forces them to grow up. Because the same things that allow you to be successful in the paranormal realm and successful in the intuitive realm are the same things that help you grow up. You've got to get rid of fear. You got to get rid of ego. You got to get rid of those beliefs in order to succeed in the paranormal. So doing paranormal things will help you practice being in a larger reality. So in that way, the paranormal can help you in the process of growing up. But it depends on why you want to do the paranormal. If you want to do paranormal because it's cool, you can impress your friends, or you can go into the girls' locker room and see what's going on in there, you know, with remote <laughs> viewing, you know. You can have all kinds of not-so-good reasons for wanting to do the paranormal. Then it won't work for you very well. And if you do work at it long enough anyway, you may get a little good at it, but, eh, you know, it will not change your life and it'll be a waste of your time. So that's the key thing. Grow up, become love, care about other people, try to get rid of as much of your self-centeredness as you can. You know, this idea about I want to fix, I want to manipulate my reality so it comes out the way I want is just self-centeredness. You know, it's I, this is what I want. This is what I need. I need to manipulate everybody in my life so they're the way I want them. You know, all of that is just self-centeredness and self-centeredness is basically being immature. And we all know people who are in their 50s and 60s and 70s who are still very self-centered. They never grew up. Well, don't make that you. (laughs) Don't make that you. You know, you have to get rid of that self-centeredness. Children are naturally self-centered. You're born self-centered because you're all alone in this big, scary world and you depend on other people. And it's all about you and your survival and what you know and learning. And life starts that way. It's all about you. You have to mature and outgrow that. Life then takes in other people. You learn to be considerate. You learn to care. You know, all of that's part of the growing up process. But many people learn to act like they're caring. They learn to act the rules that the society gives to them. They learn how to be polite, but they don't really grow up much at all. That's why it takes so long and so many lifetimes and so little progress, you know, that we look. And we look outside in the world and we say, wow, what dysfunction out there, all this, you know, control, power, force, you know, everywhere. And we say, gosh, if this is our evolution, we're not doing very well, but it's a slow process. But we are doing pretty well. Look at the last 500 years. We as Homo sapiens have grown up a lot in the last 500 years, but we still have a long way to go. We're still self-centered. We're still, it's all about us. It's how we, how can we manipulate everything to be the way we want it? Cause we know best and we're just doing it for the good of everybody else. But, you know, of course, everybody feels that way. Actually, I think we're actually very, very self-centered, much more yeah. than we used to be 500 <laughs> years ago. Tom, I really, really appreciate this conversation. It was 
Keeping you so up too late, funny. aren't I? Keeping you up way past <laughs> no, your bedtime. It's, it's, yeah. no, no, it's never too late. <laughs> I, I would stay another three hours if I could. Um, it was very inspiring. It was very eye-opening. It was very humbling as well. And I've learned a lot and I hope the listeners had mm. to. Thank you so very much for your work, for your efforts in decreasing the mm. entropy of our system by by doing what you do. Thank you so much. You're very welcome, Natalie. I've enjoyed it. Uh, you're a lovely person and I've enjoyed, uh, enjoyed chatting with you. Mm.